Welcome to Views from the Porch, a podcast where we explore what it looks like to survive and thrive in your young adult years. Each week, we talk about the biggest challenges facing young adults today and how to overcome them from God's Word based on our weekly experience in leading thousands of young adults at the porch. For more info on The Porch, visit theporch.live. Thank you for joining. What's up, guys? This is David. We are back with another episode of Views from the Porch, and I am joined for the very first, no, second time with Allie Beth Stuckey. Yes, thanks so much for having me. Allie, um, man, welcome back. Thanks for making time in the midst of mom life. For people who don't know, Allie is a predominant voice in uh, politics in general. Um, I would say conservative politics in particular. Is that fair? Yes, that's fair. Uh, With a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube, 200,000 on Instagram, just has has developed a platform and a voice and is putting out, I would say what is unique about a lot of the stuff that you do is there's a more Christian bent to um, some, at least a good amount or some amount of the content that you're putting out. Definitely most of it is informed by your Christian faith. So for those who don't know, um, what would you say in terms of what it is that you do weekly and, and uh, kind of a little bit of your journey to, uh, being in the position or or doing what you do right now? So yes, everything that I do is meant to be from a biblical perspective. That is my goal to help the people, in particular women who listen to my podcast, uh, to build a worldview that includes political, social views that are based on the word of God. I'm learning that. The people who listen to me are learning that. Um, But that does inform what I think about politics, what I think about policies, what I think about cultural and social issues. And so there's always a ton to talk about and people are just hungry for how do you make sense of the craziness and chaos of the world around us uh, from the clarity of scripture. And so that's what I am aiming to do uh, in the podcast and the videos that I produce. Would you say that you're unique in the role that your faith plays and and how you navigate those waters from the outside looking in, I would say. Yeah. I think that there are a lot of Christians who are in this space, but there are probably more people who seek to kind of compartmentalize that. So if you're exclusively like a conservative political commentator, you're thinking, look, I I don't want to polarize people who don't share my faith. So I'm not going to talk about it as much. I want everyone to be a Republican or whatever it is. And then a lot of times when you have Christian commentators, they're thinking, I think a little bit more rightfully, uh, they're thinking, you know, I don't want to polarize people who don't have the same political views as me. So I'm not going to really talk about politics very much. Um, But I just don't believe that it's possible or healthy or biblical to have a compartmentalized worldview. People think that we can separate politics and theology, but politics is downstream from theology. So what you think about God will affect what you think about policies, and it should. Uh, That doesn't mean that I'm looking to create some kind of Christian dictatorship. It does mean that what I see as moral and good for not just me, but for society as a whole is going to be informed by the only supreme moral lawgiver that exists. And it should be that way for all Christians who believe in that yeah. moral lawgiver. That's right. So a little bit of your story, what would you say is your story of, of grace? Because um, you and I have had conversations about spiritual stuff and I'm well aware, but for those who aren't, um, yeah. you grew up here in Dallas, went to Christian school. How'd you come to Christ? Yeah, so I had the privilege of being raised by Christian parents, Christian family, went to Baptist church my whole life, started going to Watermark when I was in high school, and that is really when I started taking my faith 
more seriously. I did a, what a lot of kids growing up in church did, you know, got baptized when I was seven, told Jesus I didn't want to go to hell. And, um, you know, I'm thankful for that part of my life. I'm not bitter towards it, of course, but there is a moment, I think, when you've reached a certain level of maturity that you have to say, okay, am I actually going to follow Christ? Am I going to pick up my cross and be his disciple? Or am I just going to continue to let this be this kind of nominal, nebulous part of my life? And so in high school, started going to Watermark, started going to Shoreline at Watermark, started going to Camp Barnabas with Watermark, and that really did have a huge effect on my faith, as well as a few other pastors at that time. Um, really feeling like I was learning what the gospel was and learning how to intellectually engage Christianity for the first time when I was about a junior or senior in high school. Um, And so that's kind of where it started. And for most people, it hasn't been a straight line from, uh, you know, sinner to sanctification and perfection for me as it, you know, hasn't been for most people. But I'm so thankful for the grace of God that's kept me and kept me close and is given me the opportunity to kind of, you know, talk with other women who have been in my same position about, okay, what does it mean to live out our faith in a way that's not just practical, but sometimes also political and cultural and social as well. Yep, that's good. So uh, last question about your background, um, and then we can move on to a handful of questions just to walk through. Have you always wanted to do this political thing? Has this been your um, passion from a young age, or did it just kind of happen? How did you get into doing what you are doing right now? I didn't really know that I wanted to do politics, although I would say I was always interested in politics. Like I was, I think I was eight in in second grade when the Bush-Gore election happened. And I remember that whole night. Like I remember being excited about it and knowing about it. And even kind of in my own way, understanding like the political implications of 9-11. And so in a sense, yes, I've kind of always been interested in it. But more than that, I've just always loved, I've loved speaking in front of people. I've loved communicating. Um, and so those kinds of, those two interests just kind of merged. I used to watch Megyn Kelly when I was in high school and I used to say, oh my gosh, I want to be exactly like her. And I don't do, I don't do the same thing that she does, but, um, certainly that was an inspiration of mine. So in some ways I would say, yes, I've kind of always wanted to do this. Okay. I love it. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot because you do have, and as I've told the audience listening before, um, you have a conservative leaning, man, I'm on the hunt for somebody that has a more liberal leaning and has a stronger uh, bias in that direction, but also shares our common faith in Jesus. Cause the thing I love about you, Ali, is that, um, you have a love for this generation and a love for Jesus. And that's something that we share in common in working with young adults and wanting them to know the most important thing and most important person, mm-hmm. which is Jesus. That said, you clearly have a clear bias towards conservative leaning and conservative views. In a world where um, the president, I mean, we're just running right to it, so I'm putting you on the spot. You have a president who is very off-putting for a lot of people and mm-hmm. um, it would be characterized, or at least the feedback that I get on social media is how can you not more strongly condemn or not, how can you be so pro-life or anti-abortion um, and not condemn enough President Trump or um, how are you okay with all the, the craziness that uh, the president has in his past, some current Twitter, et cetera. How yeah. do you reconcile those two things from a Christian worldview? Hold highly conservative views while also the um, 
Trumpism and the ways that that has caused confusion or seems unchristian? How do you reconcile holding those two things, if that makes sense? Yes. So Trump is very off-putting. Now, for some people who are listening to this, who are diehard MAGA, they might be saying, no, you know, Trump's not off-putting at all. I love his tweets. Some people truly do. I am not one of those people. I have from the very beginning in the Republican primary back in 2015, I was anti-Trump, writing articles about it, talking about like, what the heck are people thinking? And it hasn't changed in that I still don't like some of his schoolyard bullying. I still don't like his pettiness. I still don't like some of the things that he says and and just kind of the way he carries himself sometimes. I think that he lacks some components of a good leader. However, when I look at the policies that he has implemented, the policies that he has advocated for in the way of being pro-life, whether it's Title 10 reform or protecting the Hyde Amendment, even just speaking at the March for Life, that is the first president that's ever done that. When I look at his peace deals in the Middle East, which are not just a formality, but actually mean something, his defense of Israel. And when I look at what he's done in the way of the economy, especially pre-COVID, I think, okay, if I care, if I truly care about the vulnerable, the vulnerable, and not just the vulnerable, but every demographic in society, my family, your family, then are Trump's tweets, is, is what he's saying at rallies, is that really affecting their life? I'm not saying it doesn't matter, that his words don't matter and his rhetoric doesn't matter, and that we shouldn't care about his pride or we shouldn't criticize him, because I very often do criticize him. Yeah. But when I'm thinking about the things that have a direct, a tangible impact on people's life, and not just on this generation, but the generations to come, then I have to think about religious liberty. I have to think about free speech. I have to think about economic opportunity. I have to think about good foreign policy. And to me, from my, like you said, conservative perspective, I understand why a liberal wouldn't agree with me. But from my conservative perspective, he and his administration have done things to preserve and to perpetuate the values and the policies that I think are best, truly, for every segment of society, whether you're liberal whether you're a Republican, whether you are poor or rich, black or white, a baby in the womb or an elderly person. So from what I've seen from his policies, I think that his policies and the things that he advocates for are best for every demographic and segment of society. And again, from a conservative perspective, when I look at Joe Biden, um, sure, maybe he's a little bit calmer. Maybe he's a little bit more politically correct, although I wouldn't say that he doesn't struggle with anger and pride. Um, the policies that I see and the values and the ideology that I see advocated on that side, I think are bad for every segment of society. Mm. And so that's what it comes down to for me is what is going to have the greatest, most tangible impact, especially on the most vulnerable in society and its policies. And when I look at which policies I think are better, create more opportunity and freedom and safety and security for every segment, it's the conservative and Republican policies that I think Trump and his administration stand for. So you would tolerate, and I don't want to oversimplify it, but I think you're saying something that is not an uncommon perspective for a lot of conservatives, which is, hey, his personality has quirks. Uh, as Christians, we would say, man, there's even probably some clear sin patterns or things that are not healthy there. But it's his policies that um, I think have a greater, longer lasting impact on society and the flourishing 
a hopeful flourishing of the country, society, culture in general. And that's why I tolerate, because both personalities are flawed. Every person who sits in the White House is a sinner and never will. Yeah. And uh, and I think you're saying, hey, it's, it's his policies over personality. Yes. And I would add on top of that, maybe it wouldn't seem so dire if where the Democratic Party is compared to where the Democratic Party was pre-Obama wasn't so far left. And I actually talked about on my podcast on Wednesday that they have very tangibly, quantifiably moved to the left on every issue. If they weren't talking about packing the Supreme Court, if Kamala Harris wasn't so rabidly pro-abortion, and it's not just pro-choice in that sense, but pro-abortion, if she wasn't so well-funded by Planned Parenthood, if they weren't talking about overturning the Hyde Amendment so our federal funds support abortion, if they weren't talking about the Equality Act, if Joe Biden hadn't said in a town hall that eight-year-olds can be transgender, then maybe, maybe I would say, okay, there's not as many consequences. (laughs) But looking at just how I think damaging and unbiblical and just completely detrimental those policies that the other side represents are to me there's too much at stake for me to worry as much about trump's tweets or tax returns to not vote for him yeah that makes sense so you mentioned two things that some people listening may not know what they are overturning the hyde amendment what what is that and then court packing what is that why does that matter yeah so the Hyde Amendment has been around since the 1980s. It was a move by Republicans, conservatives, and pro-life groups to protect our federal tax dollars from directly funding abortion. Now, our federal tax dollars do go to organizations like Planned Parenthood, unfortunately. So when you hear pro-lifers say that we need to defund Planned Parenthood, that's what we're talking about. They get about $500 million a year from the government. But wow. because of the Hyde Amendment, they're not supposed to be able to use our federal funds to fund abortion. Now, they probably do, and they do a lot of other horrible things as well. The fact of the matter is Planned Parenthood doesn't need our taxpayer money in order to survive. But anyway, the Hyde Amendment protects our federal tax dollars from directly funding abortion. But people like Kamala Harris and even Joe Biden have said, you know what, we're going to do away with the Hyde Amendment, which is something that they would have the authority to do. So our federal tax dollars would be directly paying for the abortion procedure. The way that they defend that is by saying that, well, this helps poor women. And they say the Hyde Amendment is racist because disproportionately black poor women aren't able to get an abortion if federal funds aren't paying for it. That is their defense of it. The Trump administration, because of Title X reform, actually helped redirect about 60 million taxpayer dollars away from Planned Parenthood as a whole. Um, And so that's what you got on the two different sides. Wow. And then on court packing, for anyone who's not familiar with that, what does that term mean and, and why does that matter? Yes. So that is another phrase that is kind of being redefined in in real time. What court packing actually means, the real term, is that you're expanding the number of seats. So we've got nine seats on the Supreme Court. When Joe Biden refuses to say whether or not he's going to pack the court and AOC and other Democrats say that they're going to pack the court, what they mean is they want to add four seats to it, expand it to 13, and then they want to fill it in If Joe Biden wins and if uh, Democrats win the Senate, that's what would be required for this. They want to fill it in with four justices that they like. Now, the difference between how Republicans see justices or judges and how Democrats see justices or judges, and this is not an unfair 
representation, I think a Democrat would agree with this description, is that Republicans typically look for constitutionalist, textualist justices that say, I interpret the Constitution according to what it says and what the founders actually meant. Whereas someone like Kagan or the former Justice RBG, uh, she would say, it's a living document and we are going to add in things and add an interpretation according to societal changes and according to liberal dogma. That's the difference. The problem with that from a conservative perspective is if that is your judicial interpretation, then you can override any constitutional right that we have by saying, well, the Constitution doesn't really mean total free speech, doesn't really mean total religious liberty or total Second Amendment Mm. or total parental rights or whatever it is. That is the danger for me. That's what the Democrats have said that they are going to do if they take the Senate and the presidency. Wow. Okay, so here's another one on the spot. There is a lot, at least in what I hear from young adults, there's a lot of, man, what's, I don't know what the best way of putting it is. Um, Somehow, the liberal side, and I'm not trying to defend or say one or the other, um, people think that conservatives or the Republican Party, which again, I've, I've said, hey, Ali clearly has a bias and leaning towards that direction, um, is against women, they're sexist, they're misogynist, um, and yet you are clearly a very strong, outspoken, conservative female voice who's empowered, who doesn't feel like your women's rights are um, constantly injustice or you've sold out to the man. So how do you reconcile that? And is that an accurate portrayal that one side is more for women's rights than other than the other side is? Um and if so, how do you reconcile it? If not, what's what would you say is more accurate? Well, we have to get down to the nitty gritty. And I think it's always important when you're talking to someone on the other side of the aisle to define your terms. What is a right? That is the that's the big thing that we disagree on, the right and the left. I would say the rights view privilege or the left views privileges as rights, whereas I view constitutional rights as rights. They would say abortion is a right where I would say, well, abortion is not mentioned anywhere in our Bill of Rights. There's no right to kill an innocent child, no matter what the Supreme Court says. Or they would say, for example, this is a this is a this is a good example of how the right and the left views rights. So if you remember, um, well, okay, I'll just use a figurative example. Like if a florist, there was a florist who got sued because they would not do a flower arrangement for a gay wedding. They were sincere Christians. And they said, look, that's We'll sell you flowers of a different kind, but we're not going to sell you flowers for a gay wedding. The right would say, look, you've got a First Amendment right to religious liberty. Just because you own a business doesn't mean that you have to give up your First Amendment rights when it comes to, you know, living in a way that um, that is true to your conscience and your sincerely held religious beliefs. Whereas the left would say, no, that couple has a right to buy flowers from wherever they want to buy flowers, you don't have a right to discriminate against them. Whereas I would say that's not a constitutional right to buy flowers from a particular shop and force them to make an arrangement for you. So that is the difference, I think, between what the left and the right views as actual rights. So when people say that you're taking away women's rights, I want to know which rights. The right to kill the child inside your womb, that's not a right. That might be something that someone desires to do, but I I wouldn't say that there is any real constitutional right to that. Um, And so I would just ask, what rights are you talking about? Can you tell me specifically 
how Republicans and conservatives are misogynist because what I've seen over the past few weeks is an onslaught of gender-specific criticism towards people like Amy Coney Barrett. Hmm. How can she possibly be a mom? Is her adoption legitimate? How can she be a mom and balance this career? I mean, stuff that would just never be asked of a man. So I think leftist identity politics gets itself into a quandary because they make a big deal about melanin, the color of your skin, and a big deal about anatomy, what gender you are, until people who... Uh, you know, represent those identities, don't agree with them. And then they're okay with being racist and sexist. Mm. Um, So that's the problem. I think that it's better for everyone to focus on competence and character than it is identity politics. And so typically I'm just not really interested in the conservatives and Republicans or misogynists and Democrats aren't because I just don't see any basis for that at all. Yeah. Okay. So one of your most popular, switching gears a little bit, um, just a couple more questions. One of your more popular videos I was told before coming out here on your YouTube channel is redefining Christianity. And, um, and what is the context? How is that happening? And I'm, I'm not, I'm candidly, I'm not even familiar with it. So if there's, <laughs> yeah, so, well, it was a, an interview I did with a guest. If anyone is familiar with Skillet, they're the Christian rock band oh, the yeah. lead singer, John Cooper. He is awesome. So he has been putting out this amazing cultural and theological commentary for the past few years, but especially recently, and talking about things like, and I don't know how many people on the podcast are familiar, but things like critical race theory, intersectionality, how Marxism, postmodernism, these very academic terms that all just um, have to do with certain parts of leftism, how they are infiltrating the church and they're actually wrecking people's theology as well as our relationships. Um, and so that's what we were, that's what we were talking about. He talked about the dangers of we, what we called wokeism and social justice theology, which categorizes people based on their skin color or their gender as oppressed versus oppressors, not as people who are dead in Christ or alive in Christ, but people who carry some kind of societal responsibility based not on what they've done, but on their race or their gender. Wow. How dangerous and divisive that is for the church, how anti-gospel that is, yeah. how anti-biblical that is. And so that's what we were talking about and how Christians just need to make sure that we are evangelizing to the world, not the other way around. People who hate God and don't know God don't get to tell the church what justice is. They don't get to tell us what human dignity is. Right. They don't get to tell us what sanctity of life means or what right and wrong is. God tells us those things, and then we model that for the world. And I just see a lot of Christians modeling themselves after the world rather than modeling Christ to the world, especially when it comes to political injustice issues. Come on. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question I asked Charlie last week, which is if you could wave based on you know your perspective, values, um, passions, if you could wave a magic wand and fix one issue in America tomorrow, overnight, everyone agrees, there's a c- total consensus uh, and it's passed in the House, Congress, Senate, Supreme Court, et cetera. If you could fix one problem overnight tomorrow, what would it be? Mm. Oh, gosh, there are so many things. But I, I think the big how could I not say abortion when there are thousands of babies inside the womb that are being poisoned, dismembered, yeah. suctioned out of the womb, living, breathing babies every day? How can I not say that? There are so many issues that I want to cover, but... Like, as we speak, there are babies being murdered. Yeah. So, I mean, I would love for there to be a day when we just realize hmm. that that was 
the greatest moral atrocity in this country since slavery and just how we look back at slavery or Jim Crow or any other or Japanese internment camps, Chinese railroads. And we say, how could we have ever stood for that? How is that possible? I just hope that, I mean, that is my prayer that one day we look back at abortion and we think, how could we have ever possibly let that happen? Amen. Amen. Okay. So um, for young adults, favorite book, you also wrote a book and I want to hear about that quickly and I know we're almost out of time, but if you were going to recommend like, Hey, here's some political books that really influenced me. And then my favorite Christian books or Christian authors, um, you know, doesn't have to be the most of all time, but Hey, here's a couple yeah. that if someone who's going to go read, these would be good ones to read. Yeah. So I'm going to recommend two. They're pretty much textbooks, but books that answer a lot of questions for me. I love Wayne Grudem's politics, according to the Bible. I think he is an excellent resource. I've interviewed him. He did a really good response to John Piper's uh, article recently. So he's just a good resource. His huge book, Systematic Theology, has answered so many theological questions for me. And so uh, he is someone that I think is a great resource. I think Albert Moeller is a wonderful resource. His He has a recent book out, but he also has a podcast called The Briefing that has helped me put things into a biblical perspective. And so those are some resources. When I was in high school, Two of the books that really had the biggest effect on me were Reason for God by Tim Keller, whom I do not agree with politically, but I have learned so much from uh, theologically, and Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. So anyone who is starting out their faith, or really at any point in your faith, but especially people first start, who are starting out, I think those are great foundational books to read. Wayne Grudem, Albert Moeller for political issues. I actually on my website have like a whole list of resources that people can see because I have a lot of recommendations, but those are just a few. I love it. So um, as we wrap up, you just referenced where can people find more about your stuff? So your website, you have a podcast, YouTube, where can we find more? And, And your book, where could we get that? Which came out a little while ago, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can go to AllieBethStuckey.com, but I'm also on Instagram. I'm on Twitter and all of that good stuff. I did write a book, came out in August, You're Not Enough, and That's Okay, Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love. Um, it does mention politics and culture because, like I said, it's a whole cohesive worldview, but it's really not about that. It's really about viewing uh, ourselves rightly in light of um, in light of who God made us to be rather than what the world says and why self-love is not enough, but Christ's love is sufficient. So that's what that book is about. Um, and you can find out more about it on my website, AllieBethStuckey.com. It's on Amazon and all that good stuff as well. Come on. I love it. Allie, thank you for being here. You've been, um, man, just such a, a, a good friend, a champ, and just, it's fun to see how God is using you and the way that he is um, instructing and encouraging this generation. So that is it for us. We'll see you next time on another episode of Views from the Porch. We want to thank you for listening to Views from the Porch. For more information about The Porch Ministry, visit us at theporch.live or follow us on social media at The Porch.